Well, it's a joy to have all of you up here. Uh, maybe I can start us off by uh, the first question on kids and church. Let's start by talking about the importance of involving your children in the life of the church. Why is church life so vital for your family, and what have you found to be effective in connecting them to the ministries here at our church? Dealer's choice. Well, I need to jump in first because I failed to introduce my wife, Lisa. Uh, We are celebrating 30 years uh, coming up. You have kids too, right? This month. And I do have five kids. So I have a couple thoughts uh, on here. I've always said our family are big consumers of the children's ministry here at Grace Church. uh, As they travel up from the nursery all the way up to the uh, high school group and now into college. Um, You know, Lisa and I have always said... Uh, it's important for our kids to hear other believers speak into their life. Uh, children hear their parents instructing all the time, and it can cause them uh, to tune out some things, or maybe because of the familiarity of your own voice or the consistent speaking or repeating of principles that they take that for granted. And God uses other people's voices into your children's life to state the same principles, maybe state it with different words, certainly based on the same truth, but in a way that um, maybe they're a little bit more open uh, or they receive it without uh, maybe some kind of response that they've, by way of a pattern they've fallen into, just kind of uh, to their parents. And so we have always tried to be an encouragement to our kids, small group leaders, started in Awana or small group leaders uh, all the way up through high school, to just let them know we need them. Uh, we expect them to speak into their life. And I would say even sometimes because I'm an elder, uh, there might be a time that they might not want to address an elder's kids. So I tried to diffuse that really quick and saying, please, uh, we need you to speak into our kids' lives. And so um, that's just one perspective that I would share is just the value of that voice that's repeating the same truth principles with different words in a different setting, a different time, but affirm the things you're trying to impart to your kids. I mean, we, we made it, um, I mean, I grew up here, so I'm, I've not only experienced the benefits of, of a life that's church-centered, but we always tried to make sure that church was just part of, part of life, right? We, this is what we did on Sundays, this is what we did on Wednesday nights, the people that we hung around with. It was all um, just church, right? Church was our life. And we, we kind of looked at it as we were, we were really trying to model in our kids and instill in our kids the fruits of the spirit, one another's, you know, those, those types of godly characteristics, even as young kids. And then they would come to church and, and get that supported, right? So it's not like going to school where they're seeing the opposite and hearing the opposite, but they're coming to church and they're, especially this church, and they're hearing, you know, the, the programs and they're learning about the one another's and they're learning about the fruits of the spirits and the different, you know, patience, kindness, and those kinds of things. So, um, but I mean, for us, it was just church was life and life was church. It was just part of the deal, right? Yeah, and you know what's great about doing that is, first of all, you make lifelong friends. Both my boys uh, and and daughter went to private school uh, through high school, and all those friends they know about but they don't hang out with, but they're friends at church that they grew up with all their life. They still have connection to. They're still that, that, that... activity that that we love so much but it, the challenges are that in especially in growing up you know some kids even our kids went to a christian school it wasn't cool to go to bible study 
It wasn't cool. It wasn't the thing to do. So what we did is we um, would invite the boys to our house for dinner and then take them to Bible study. Well, that then became cool. So all of a sudden now, all the cool kids in school were going to Bible study because we made it cool. <laughs> and we fed them. So, you know, whatever it takes to get your kids involved in church, even if it's making Taco Tuesday or whatever it is, you want them at your house so they can, you can observe what's going on and you can encourage them to participate in, in activities at church. So that's, that's what we did. We made it fun. Yeah, and I, I might just add that it's important for us to set the example of our service in the church because when they watch us in service to the church, then they get the idea that church is important. One of the things that we did was to uh, participate by hosting a Bible study in our home uh, for the youth and allowing them to see um, that we wanted to be involved in their life at that level, but they also watched us be involved in other aspects of ministry here at Grace Community Church over the years. Excellent. You know, Mark touched on this a little bit. Uh, Mark Curry did. Uh, expectations of others. How do you deal with expectations of others at church for your kids to behave, sometimes even to behave perfectly, so to speak? Yeah. Um, this is something Lisa and I were confronted with right away, having kids, um, especially when you're in a position of leadership. You And I grew up as a pastor's kid, so... I'm familiar with expectations that people place on them. But I remember uh, early on our kids run around the patio, and you're trying to have a conversation with people, and they're interrupting you. And what wells up in your heart is, is you want to correct them, and uh, you realize in that correction sometimes you're playing towards others' expectations or the things you think they have expectations of you, which will become the motivation for correcting your kids instead of really trying to address what's best for them and even in the best way. And so it's kind of an unspoken thing at church that we carry these expectations on us of what other people think of us as parents. And, and that goes through your entire life. And what you don't want to do is uh, you want to lead your kids, shepherd your kids, correct your kids out of your own pride. And, um, we saw that early in our own hearts, and we've talked about a number of times over the years, the temptation to do that. And your kids can discern when you have their best interests in mind or you have your own reputation in mind. And that's something to be aware of. And I like to tell you, I've avoided that perfectly. That's not been the case. But examine your own heart and what your motives are. Um, and I think sometimes you can then push those ideas or expectations on other people at the same time. And so it can create an unhealthy dynamic. Instead of just an authentic, look, we're shepherding our kids. Yeah, we don't like that they're interrupting. It's not what we've taught them to do. Uh, thanks for your patience, and we're going to keep working on that. And giving the other family permission also to say, yeah, we're working on things too. Uh, you don't have to be per perfect when you get out of your car at church and put everybody under that unrealistic kind of sense of expectation that creates a really unhealthy dynamic. And there might be other people in your life, not just at church, uh, grandparents and others that you're contending with those sets of expectations. But you want to make sure that your, your motivation in instructing and disciplining your children is for their best interest and for God's glory, not your own pride. So that's one thing that comes to mind. 
mean, the, the fact of the matter is you really can't control what other people, even people at church, what, what they're doing, what they do with their kids and how they raise their kids, right? And so it's almost like a little bit of a taste of reality for your kids. Um, but for me growing up here, um, you know, my dad was an elder, and so there was this kind of almost legalistic expectation that I had that I had to, like, work, you know, act a certain way and be a certain way because I didn't want to, you know... Anyways, it's a long story, but that's, that's what it was. And so, still working through those things here. But the, uh, so Cheryl and I talked a lot about how do we work on the hearts of our kids and um, make them want to be a certain way and act a certain way because they love Christ and because they love the Lord and not because there's an expectation from them because they're my kids or, you know, or the Tatlocks or whatever, or your, or your children, right? Or because there's some kind of this legal legalistic expectation that you put on your kids as parents, you're at church and you got to be this certain way, even though these other kids are going crazy, right? So um, I, I just you're going to hear this from me. It's a you know a theme that Cheryl and I talk a lot about is just training their hearts to love Christ and to love to do the right things, not because you're asking them to do it, not because of an expectation of theirs, but just because it's the right thing to do. This is what the Bible says. So I appreciated what Mark had to say. Sorry to interrupt you, Mark, but. Uh... Uh, inviting others to be in your lives and to have uh, observations from outside your own home, other parents offering input into what's going on. But I think there was an attitude that uh, my wife and I tried to cultivate within ourselves and then pass on to our children. And that was something that Jesus taught about what is the greatest commandment. And his perspective was to love others, uh, love God first, love others second. And then where are you in that whole process? You're third. So when you're third, you don't think about yourself, and you're not trying to figure out what other people are thinking of me. You're out there trying to glorify God, and if you instill that into your children, then they develop this attitude and perspective of respecting others and being respectful in front of others in public places. Good, yeah. I would just comment. I I think it all does does come down to the heart, because that's where your thoughts and your feelings all begin. Um, It's all about the heart. Hey, Pepper. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I, with our children, uh, there was uh, times where discipline was required, um, and and those it was interesting. One of our children needed a little more than the other. Uh, the younger one observed the older one being disciplined more, so he was very intelligent and said, "I'm not going to do what he did, so I don't get that result." So um, I know it's a little off topic, but at the same time, I do expect that they respect their elders because that's something we teach very strongly, and I think that goes on to the public and respecting police officers, respecting government, et cetera. And so um, uh, we taught uh, respect, and uh, when they were disrespectful, there were consequences. And that's another thing, too. As a parent, we need to be consistent in our disciplining with regards to consequences. I know I'm going way off topic here, but there's, there are so many things to developing that heart, uh, that heart that we want to yearn for the Lord. And so uh, I think we talk about circling, having your kids involved in church, and then you at home are consistently encouraging good thought. Uh, it's the heart, spending time talking about the major issues um, as they get older and able to understand. That's a, that's a good thing. Well, Mark, you're setting me up well. I'm going to spring off of something you just said again in terms of authority and society. Uh, just as we kind of think about society and, uh, you know, just we look around, uh, our children, whether they attend public school or not, our children are growing up in a culture that is moving farther and farther away from a Christian worldview. What, do, what can parents do to shepherd their kids with issues like 
transgenderism and uh, LGBTQ agenda and critical race theory or whatever the case may be, uh, what, are, what are some things that parents might be able to do to combat that? It's a lot different now than it was. And my, my youngest is 18. My oldest is 30. Mark, you're probably maybe a little bit closer to this because you still have younger kids. It's a lot different now, and it's, it's even more critical, right? So at the same time, as it gets more difficult <clears throat> and more confusing, it becomes more critical. Um, I think we had the luxury a little bit of really working. We, we, from a schooling and kind of worldview, there's a pretty easy principle, and that is that it only takes one second for your kids to be exposed to something. But it takes, but you as a parent can, um, you have to balance that, that, do I shelter my kids too much or do I expose them to the stuff in the world, right? And that is, that is a tough line. And so do I put them in school too early and get them exposed to all this things that is clearly, I mean, it's not even questionably unbiblical, right? It is clearly unbiblical and it's agenda driven, right? So do I, when, at what point do I expose my children to those things? Because as soon as I expose them, it's, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn, right? Um, I, I was talking to Mark a little bit earlier. I think we had, we had the privilege of just being able to do that a little bit sooner. We, we, we kind of have an interesting view on school. <clears throat> school is year to year. We're, we, weren't, we were homeschoolers, we were public schoolers, and we were private schoolers. And it's, it's kid by kid, and it's year by year. Because all school really is is just the education, right? The family is the family, and the church is the church. The school is just a place where you learn stuff. So I wasn't interested in my kids making lifelong friends at school, right? I wanted them to make the lifelong friends at church. So year to year, we would look at each kid, and we would kind of determine our older kids. It, wait, it took a little bit longer for them to get to public school. Our younger kids um, were, it was clear that the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts, and so about junior high time, we were able to start putting them, you know, exposing them to public school and some of the things like that because we felt like they could control it. Up to that point, they were homeschooled and private schooled. And that's a personal decision that Cheryl and I made. Um, I don't know if, we still, if you guys still have that luxury, right? Um, I don't think the public school system is any way, shape, or form trying to do the right thing anymore. And I really do feel back in those days, you know, 10 years ago, it probably was. So I just got to say it's difficult, and uh, it's probably, a, you know, a decision that each of you have to make. But once you let the horse out of the barn, it's gone. So just be, you can't be too sheltering, but you can't be dumb at the same time. Biblical discernment, wisdom, a lot of time on your knees praying. Absolutely. The, the, uh, I, to, to bounce off that, uh, men, it is your responsibility to make sure this is the priority in the house. Amen. And, and truth, all truth is here. And that's where all decisions and concerns and issues need to be based on. Um, the Bible's very clear on these issues. Um, to add to Brandon's comment, we are in the same boat. Uh, as I grew up, my father also was an elder here at Grace. And at high school, my parents decided it was time for me to go to public school and to make sure and, and test my faith. Now, obviously, it's year to year, so if I, we started going the wrong direction. I guarantee you, Mom and Dad would have pulled us out. But it tested our faith. And I still remember the first time in the locker room, and all these words started coming out that I wasn't used to hearing. Uh, it was amazing. Where, where was I going to stand, and where was I going to be? Again, because we were raised in the church, I always had my church friends. I always do go to Bible study, Friday night activities, during the summertime beach uh, with, with all my church friends. And uh, so it helped create that, that solidification. Uh, as far as decisions making now, um, I want to impact uh, my grandchildren. 
uh, with as much scripture as I can. My dear wife, Pam, several nights a week, uh, does, uses a thing called Marco Polo, which is a video app you can use on your phone. And she'll read to the, our granddaughters uh, stories, Bible stories, so the next morning when they wake up, because they live in Charlotte, um, mom shows them the video of grandma teaching them uh, regular, normal drawing stories, but also Bible stories. And that's the impact that we can have at this stage because they're so far away. That's our way of communicating with our grandkids. Of course, traveling out there we enjoy as well. But as a grandparent, our job is even more is to pray. Pray for God's hand, protection, and giving, offering guidance to our children. Uh, and I know I'm jumping into probably the next thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm just so passionate about men being men and men being leaders and not stand down for an agenda that is not biblically driven. We have to have a biblical worldview, end of story, or you will fail. And if you fail as a parent, you fail. So. You talked about worldview. I think it's important that uh, two issues. You know, a worldview informs people's values, and then those values shape uh, their the institutions of your society, whether it's the healthcare system, educational system, legal system. And then you see that expressed in the uh, popular media and the external forms of the arts and things like that. So by the time things are being represented in the arts, whether it's theater or movies or music or whatever else, it's an expression of what's changed in, in the heart of the culture as far as its worldview. So you can always trace that change. And so... Uh, but what your kids are being exposed to often is that that popular media kind of expression of it. And so what you have to contend with is how do you cultivate discernment in your own life and in their life to recognize that. And when there are those moments that what they're exposed to is contrary to a biblical worldview, you know, you don't have to sit down and have a sermon every single time. Because particularly if they've been at church and they're hearing good teaching and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in the home... But point to that and just do you understand the difference between what God says and what you're saying? Because the ultimate issue is who's the authority. And I think that's been alluded to. But basically, the authority ultimately is God through his word. And where you want them to learn, because you're not going to prepare them for every issue they're going to face. There's going to be more 10 years from now and 20 years from now. But what we all need to do is to to exercise discernment so we can recognize when things are contrary to what God's word says and then wrestle with the issue of authority. Am I going to submit to God's authority or to the authorities uh, in the other institutions and in, in society? And so if, if you can help your kids recognize that and then practice making that choice, that positions them for a lifetime of fighting the fight because they're going to have to fight the fight we fight. Uh, and it may be more intense in the days to come. So, you know, my wife's really good at this. You know, if we're watching a TV show or something comes up in a song, uh, she'll just ask our kids. You know, Do you understand why that's contrary to God's word? And, and just kind of point that out. Sometimes it's a longer conversation. Sometimes it's, it's a short conversation. But trying to teach them to recognize and to discern that. Sometimes you get pushback because they're hearing it from a lot of other fronts and sources. And so it is a longer conversation. And you begin to discern the maturity of your kid's heart. Wow, are they really grounded? Or 
are they still wrestling with that issue of authority? And um, that comes out more and more in the teenage years. So buckle up and get ready for those conversations in that sense. But that's where it really comes to you know, the long-term effect of what you've grounded them in if they're transitioning that into the authority of Scripture in their own life. So, Can I add one thing really quick? Listen, parents, if you're acting and living and capitulating to the world, right? You're listening to the bad music. You're listening to stuff, and you're doing that, and you're, you're compromising in front of your kids, then you can expect it from your kids too. Mm. So this is the time to knuckle down and live like believers and live like Christians uh, in the home because there's, there's just not any room. There's not any wiggle room anymore. So Amen. just as an encouragement to you guys. Yeah. No, Brendan, I think uh, just to spring off of what you said that and, and also earlier what you said, Brendan, I had a burden to share this with the men of the word group uh, a couple of months ago, and I, I have a burden to share it with you. Uh, I'm not saying, and I'm not sure anyone up here is saying, that it's impossible to have or keep your kids in public school. But if you do, I really just, you need to be aware of what they're teaching. Because keep in mind, public school is not like when we were going to public school ourselves. I mean, even 10 years ago, but much less 20 or 30 years ago, it's just, it's, it's very different. And even this time of this last year of the pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of stories about how a lot of teachers have been exposed in terms of what they were teaching and the parents kind of seeing what they were teaching and, and being horrified at what they were teaching. And so you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of what their peers at school, you know, the, I mean, all, I would say a great majority of them are going to be brought up in a similar anti-Christian or anti-biblical worldview. And, you know, it's not just what the teachers are telling them, it's what their classmates are telling them. And, and, and you need to be aware of all of that. And Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 is clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And it's extremely difficult to compete with eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, with maybe a 10, 15-minute family devotional at night plus you know, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday school. That's a, it's an incredible challenge, especially if your children are very young. So I just really want to charge you to be aware of what's out there and, and just to, to be prayerful and to make these types of decisions very carefully because, again, it's a very different world we live in today than decades ago. Yeah, Han, you've, you've taken my scripture uh, from Deuteronomy <laughs> because I think it's a good reminder to us that we are stewards of our children before the Lord, and we have a great responsibility to shepherd their heart. I like what my wife says. She says that uh, our children are tender shoots that are under our protective care. And so we need to protect not only their environment, but their spiritual growth. And so what we're doing at home and then what we allow them to uh, be exposed to uh, is under our responsibility before God, and we stand answerable to him. Yeah, I wanted to clarify a comment I made previously that, you know, if you fail as a parent, you fail. I don't want to be so harsh in saying that because let me tell you something. If anybody made mistakes as a father... I did. Um, I, I many times would uh, be so angry because my children did something that was direct disobedience. Don't do this. Don't do it. Don't do it. They did it. And I'd come home. I'd be so mad. And that's where panic comes. Honey, before you go in there and deal with it, I want you to relax. I want you to take a pause and think. And I'm so grateful for that because I, I would, and I had gone in sometimes and disciplined my kids out of anger, not out of love. Um, and some things I've said things that I wish I hadn't said. Um, 
and obviously it wasn't a big issue, but still as a parent, it's like, what a dumb thing to say. Uh, and how I talk to my wife in front of my kids is also very important. Um, so um, I, don't, I, do, I, I thought about that was kind of a downer what I said. I don't want to say it because God is there and he's gracious. And one more thing, as Mark Tyler was saying earlier, let's be thankful for all those other people that have impact in our children's lives. Amen. How many times have you taught doctrine to your kids only for them to come home after a summer camp or something to come and, Dad, guess what I learned? And you're like, where have I been? Uh, but you know what? Sometimes they need to hear it from somebody else. Yep. And, uh, and, and I thank God for those people that had impact in my children's lives from elementary school even through the college at the master's college. Um, I'm grateful for that. That's a good comment to make. I think it's important for us not to isolate ourselves away from the world or from others, so it's important to have those relationships within the church. And there we are back to the first question. It's come full circle that we need the impact of those that we respect in our lives, in our children's lives as well. Yeah, and I just want to, something that's been on my mind knowing that we're going to talk today is just recognizing that in our church family, there are a number of single parents and uh, when you talk about even schooling options, you may feel like you have less choices and opportunities because you have to work and your kids are in school. Or whatever the circumstances are, um, whether a spouse passing away or there's been uh, abandonment or divorce or, or whatever the reasons for that. Um, I think one of the areas we as a church could do better is partnering with and caring for single parents and their kids. And um, I think just speaking to us as men, uh, you know, we should look out not just for the needs of our own family, but if there are single moms in our church who have uh, young boys particularly, um, I think we need to be open and, and to pursue one another and extend an invitation that when there's a single parent who just needs some help, uh, whether it's an older man discipling their boys or getting them into a, a fellowship, I know our homeschool group, uh, has had some single um, moms in our group, and we're grateful for that because we want to support them. We want to uh, help their kids have community with good friends and things like that. And so um, I don't have all the answers, but I just wanted to recognize, even in our group here this morning, there might be some of you who have needs as you're hearing all of this and feeling like you're carrying the burden all by yourself. Uh, even more so, we as a church should should be more helpful, more available, more intentional in making sure that uh, your, your, your family and you yourself feel supported. So I just want to offer that as leaders here at the church, that if you're in that situation, we'd be glad to talk to you and make sure that we're helping you get those, uh, make those connections or, or having those needs met. Certainly available for counsel uh, as you need it. You might not have somebody to share that with to bounce it off when you go home. So uh, that was just on my heart. I want to mention that in the context of what we're talking about. So, Amen, Mark, 100%. Absolutely. Can I add one thing to what Hal said? Listen, we're, we're not isolationists, right, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, a lot of us want to, you know, buy 40 acres in Idaho and move there, right, Leo? And get, get away, right, and just get away from everything. And so we're not isolationists. The world isn't going anywhere, right? And, it's, and according to Scripture, it's not getting into young men that are going to have an impact on this world as much as possible while we're still here. And so how do you do that? That's the struggle, right? Every little decision that you make along the, the parenting journey 
is a is a critical little decision, right? Parenting is a is a collection of a million little decisions that you made, right? Little battles that you fight, right? So that you can win the big war. You're going to lose some. You're going to win some, like what Mark was saying. But we're not isolationists. We don't have the option of just going hunkering down. One of the great things about going to Grace Church is it is big and it is diverse. And there are a lot of people here. And it's an amazing place. And so it's almost like a small little community. You can just, you can get, there's so many godly people here that your kids can interact with. Um, so anyway, it's just an encouragement to you guys. Because it sounds, it sounds so discouraging, right? We're in this, we're in this you know, conundrum. How do we... How do we live as believers in this world that just seems like it's pounded on us all the time, and especially our kids? You know, you fear for your kids. So, And in a way, that goes back to our first question. That's the joy of the church, the local church, and practicing the one another's. And really, we, all, all of us, we want to be here for you, and we want, we want you to be here for us in terms of we need each other. And uh, it, it is a, a body. And, uh, you know, there, there's a hand, there's feet, there's eyes, there's, you know, just all kinds of parts to the body, and everybody brings something different. And uh, anyway, it's just an encouragement because I agree, Brendan. We we can't. I mean, as much as we might want to, sometimes in our heart, you know, we we cannot be isolationists, and we will not be because we all live in the world, even if we are not of the world. So, a related question: What wisdom would you give parents as they seek to navigate the onslaught of technology, recognizing its influence on every aspect of our children's lives? Blow it up, throw it away, get rid of it, <laughs> whatever you can do. There's been, honestly, there's nothing that's been more challenging as far as an influence in our kids' life than their phones, uh, let alone the Internet and everything else. And, um, you know, I think um, in hindsight, there's a lot of things that uh, I would have done earlier with our kids. You try to put restrictions on, you try to do some things. They're smarter than you are. Um, and you struggle with all that. Uh, if, if you're of our generation, some of us are older who aren't as competent in managing technology, and so it's a challenge. Um, but to Brendan's point, you want to teach your kids to succeed in contending with those things. They're not going to go away, and they're only becoming more and more intrusive. And so uh, you do want to assess your children's maturity We've given our kids phones at different ages and trying to assess when they're ready for that. Uh, we have tried to create rules and restrictions, um, trying to follow up and, and provide accountability for that is the area that I think I could have done better with early on. Um, it's something that Lisa and I talk about quite a bit. When we go to bed, there's at least four or five phones all plugged in in our bathroom at night. Um, we want to make sure we know when our kids are off their phones and plugged in, but uh, eventually they're going to become independent and you've got to give them more freedoms and they're going to have to make those choices and they're going to make bad choices. Just be prepared for it. Um, what you want them to do is to love you enough and trust you enough that when they make those bad choices, they come to you and they confess that and hopefully you can walk with them in why they made those choices, how to respond differently in the future um, and try to shepherd them through that at that point. But uh, I think overall, just realizing it's becoming more and more invasive, and yet at the same time as believers, realizing you don't want to live your life so much as enslaved to those influences. And so this is just the, the world we're in. Those influences are becoming more and more overt uh, and hostile towards the things that we believe in. 
But um, I don't think you need to be pessimistic in your view of that. God has raised up our kids for this point in history. He's not surprised by technology. Uh, And it's one of the things that will stretch you the most. uh, As parents, it will stretch you the most just in your own personal holiness. And meet it head on. And be honest about that. And then do your best to deal back to the heart issues as to what's drawing you out to pursue those things. And it could be just wasting time in technology. That's the easiest thing. Uh, Or it could be more sinister things, uh, more evil things that set hooks in their heart that become temptations for the future. So um, it is something to be aware of. um, And yet God will give you the strength and the wisdom and and you may not be perfect in it, but have confidence that God is going to accomplish what he's going to do in the life of your kids and see them grow and mature. And hopefully, even out of some of their failures, they'll learn how to contend with those issues. And that will be part of their testimony going forward. So it's just one perspective. Yeah, and on a practical level, just focusing in on one aspect of that technology, let's talk about computers for just a moment. Uh, when we were parenting our children, the computer was just beginning to come into the home. And so we had a rule at the very beginning to keep the computer public and not private. Didn't go into the children's bedroom. It was always out so that we could observe what was going on. And as I've transitioned into Cornerstone over the last three or four years, my previous ministry was with the college students. And I had to deal with a lot of guys who had a lot of alone time or guys that Uh, We're in a private setting, and all the troubles that it got them into that we had to undo now that they were in college or just getting out of college. So my encouragement is to keep the computer as public as possible so that you can observe and see what's going on in your children's lives so that you can guide and direct them uh, as to what they should be doing and just be the safeguard in their life uh, to keep them from going into areas that they shouldn't be venturing. Hey, listen, I mean... Like Mark said, technology is not going away. You want to expose your kids' sin, you know, give them a phone, give them a computer, right? I mean, it's the, you have in your hand today a computer that's about 50 times more powerful than the computer I had when I was a kid, right? And it's in your hand, right, in your face all the time. And your kids do too. There may, you, you, you may have a son that is looking, I mean, this is the way of the world. I mean, these are the jobs, these are the future jobs of our kids. So isolating them from technology too much at this, at this point in time probably isn't a good thing. But as parents, you've got to be smart, right? Um, you've got to be, like what Hal was saying, you've got to do, there's no, there's no secret, there's no passwords, there's no private with technology. That's when your kids are going to get into trouble. Um, but but I, don't think, I don't think we've got the option to, to you know, again, play isolationist here. Technology is what's going on. You may raise a young man that becomes a technology influencer, and impacts the world, right? I mean, look at the way TMAI uses technology today just to influence people around the world. They're doing, you know, re- training pastors over Zoom, you know, these kinds of things. Look at the way we did church for a while here. And that's all technology. So it's all goodness, right? And it's, and like, like Mark said, this isn't a surprise. God knows this, right? And he's using it to further the church and to further the gospel. The problem is, is there's other people that are using it, you know, and it's scary, so, you know, you just got to be smart, right? You got to be smart, and um, don't let it consume your life. But, um, but understand it. If you're an old, if you're a parent and you don't really understand technology, you know, I encourage you to dig in a little bit and figure it out because your kids are doing that. So, 
Yeah, from a practical perspective, um, <laughs> no offense, Brenda, but I think I'm going to go back to my flip phone. Um, it, yeah, we'd like to, but... Yeah, there's some advantages to that, I'll tell you. But real quickly, um, when our kids were growing up and phones were a big deal, um, we noticed that our kids uh, were texting. And I said, who are you texting? And they'd point to their brother across the table. <laughs> and I'm like, What? And then um, they'd be at school for back-to-school night, and they're texting. Who are you texting? Oh, that guy right over there. Well, that's not what we wanted to train our children. We wanted them to interact with human beings. And so Pam and I made a conscious decision, and we shut off their text. And they said, Dad, how are we going to communicate? <laughs> uh, you're going to talk to them. Nobody does that anymore, Dad. Well, you are. And, uh, and so we kind of forced it. We did it for, what, honey, six months, I think? And I'll tell you, our children are very sociable. They're very social. Um, you know, I, I think, Mark, when you were at the college and you see Madison and I know Kern and, and everybody, they, they became social because they weren't stuck to the phone. And uh, just a, a practical thing that we had to do because we want to make sure our kids were engaging with other uh, individuals, especially those at, at church and school. So. Yeah, and I guess I'll add a word here just because Heather and I are currently raising young children, and, uh, you know, <laughs> we covet your prayers for sure, all of you. Um, you know, and again, uh, I, I'm, just to be clear, I'm not saying that the way we do it is the way that anyone else at all has to do it, but just as a family, we've made a choice to be very limited on any kind of screen time. We, we again, have the luxury of having that choice. I understand not everybody may be in the same situation, but that is a conscious choice we've made to really limit it. Uh, I remember reading studies even before we had children where, uh, you know, screen time can make, it can, can enact neurological level changes on a person's brain and in particular younger brains which are more pliable and more, um, you know, just that that's a real concern. And there are questions as to whether that might increase things like ADD or, you know, limit their or, or decrease their ability to focus on certain things or like Mark was talking about, even that kind of social ability to kind of interact with other people and, you know, all of those things. Uh, so we, we are very limited on that. We don't consider screen time or phones to be an entitlement. You know, it may be, a, you know, as they get older, they, it may be a situation where, uh, you know, as they display enough maturity, maybe we will allow them certain more uh, access to that, or you know, maybe we'll give them a dumb phone as they get older in their years. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be, and you know, I think that uh, I appreciate the technology comment that Brendan made, but you know, I trust that they'll be uh, smart enough to be able to learn that at the right time. Um, but you know, again, that's a personal decision and choice on Heather's and my part, uh, for whatever that's worth uh, to the rest of you. So, sorry, really quick. Um, as parents, too, again, I'm going to go back to the parents. You want your kids to have their faces and their technology, then keep your face and your technology. I mean, all's, and, and it, the, the younger generation, right, the, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just such a temptation. Mom, if you're constantly Instagramming and Facebooking all the time and texting all the time, your kids are going to be doing the same thing. Dad, same thing, right? So, you know, um, be an example. Be an Absolutely. example with, with responsible use of technology for your kids and they'll learn how to do it responsibly no, too. That, and that's a true statement and it's personally convicting, quite frankly. So it, it, it is, and it's a challenge. It was hard to say because it's personally convicting for me too. <laughs> well, we just have, we're, we're at the end of the time, but uh, I'm going to end with the closing question. The Bible tells us children are a blessing from the Lord. Tell us one or two ways you experience your children as blessings, and I'd love for each of you to answer that. Okay, I'll begin. Um, let me begin by saying that it's been a 
tough transition from being a parent to being a grandparent when you are the center of attention in your family and then you find yourself pushed out by your children and now they look at themselves in their peer group as peers with each other then it's hard not to be in that spot but as a grandparent you have to adjust and I'm speaking to those who are grandparents now or just about ready to become grandparents your opinion now is something that you have to hold back on you have to wait to be asked for your input to volunteer your input when you see something going wrong is an intrusion in your kid's life because it's their turn to take over, to raise their children, to take what you've instilled into them and to uh, apply it in their own way, in their own family life. Now, one thing I've been able to do as a grandparent that I've really enjoyed is I get to bribe my grandkids <laughs> with uh, uh, memorizing verses. When they were under my control, when they were under my influence, they had to do it because I was a dad, and it was something that we did together as a family. But now with my grandchildren, I have a monthly, we call it Appa's Verse because I'm known as Appa in my home, and so uh, I give them Appa's Verse for the month, and they need to... Uh, uh, get back to me when they've got it memorized and they get a reward. I'm not going to tell you what the reward is because my family thinks it's extravagant, but I think it's all right because I'm the APA and I get to decide uh, what is uh, the, like the proper reward. They would like me to cut it way down because my grandkids are getting rich off of me. But uh, uh, I it's, enjoy... It's not a smartphone, is it? <laughs> well, Marco Polo is very helpful right now. So uh, when, they, when they see Appa come in on the first of the month to get the verse, then there's one child that likes to get that done right away, and then there's others that wait until the last minute before the month changes to get back to Appa and give the verse and, and get the reward. But uh, it's a joy to watch them uh, put the Word of God into their minds because I know the Holy Spirit then is going to take that and put it into their hearts. Mm. All I'm trying to do is be a seed planter at this point. Amen. And uh, if I can get the seed into their mind, then I am confident because I've seen the Holy Spirit work in my life. He'll be able to take that seed and develop it and bring it and allow it to blossom. In those is to see the things we taught our children, they're replicating with their children. Proverbs 17 says a grandparent is, is a good thing uh, because you see the investment you made in your children now being replicated in their children. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that, A, they love the Lord. B, they're very active in their churches. Um, only one of them goes to Grace. Uh, the other two live far away, so they go to another great church, and they're very involved in those churches, so I, I'm grateful for that. Um, so it's nice to, 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 to pass that on. But, again, that's by God's grace because I'm human. I, I've made too many mistakes, but I'm just so grateful God called them, and I'm thankful for that. I'll be quick. I mean, Cheryl and I just look at our kids and just go, look, look what God has done. The years in the trenches um, that were so hard and so difficult and where you're scared and you just don't know, am I being a good dad? Am I being a good mom? Am I doing the right things? Um, all those hours on the knees and then you, you, know, you get to our point and you just look at your kids and you go, look what God has done. Look at these grandkids. Look at these kids. And, and it's just a blessing. So I think that's what I think is a blessing. We're in the trenches a little bit, and, um, you know, right now for us, what a blessing is, well, let me back up. First of all, parenting is a sanctifying experience, you realize, not just for your kids, but for yourself. And so one of the blessings that God has in store for us is that we grow and we change. It also deepens your faith. The whole enterprise of leading and shepherding children that you have no control over their salvation, you know that, right? 
is a faith experience for us. And it's about just being diligent and faithful. We'll never be perfect. But even in our, our failures, hopefully we can be real and honest before our kids and, and confess our sin if they've seen that and teach them about a forgiving God when we fail, teach them about forgiving God when they fail. But um, the moments that bring joy to us right now are when you do begin to see fruit. You know, kids at this uh, teenage years don't give a lot of affirmation to their parents. I mean, they may have learned and been conditioned to say thank you for a meal or I love you when they go to bed and things like that. But it's in those unscripted moments or those unexpected moments. I remember hearing uh, our youngest daughter pray um, over the last few months and just what came out in her prayers just made our hearts leap and with gratitude towards the Lord. Or it might be, I have a son who doesn't communicate uh, as uh, uh, clearly and as uh, as much as we'd like, but hearing him give a speech uh, when he graduated that just articulated what was really in his heart towards his mom and I. And so there, those little moments, um, they may not be as often as you like uh, or you need by way of an encouragement from your kids. That's why it's about faith in God and his promise to do what he's going to do, not about faith in your kids that they're going to become who you want them to become. But when you see God working in their hearts, those are the moments that your heart leaps and your faith is encouraged and you just find, you know, the strength to, to persevere in that. And our hope is what you're hearing from these older men who have older kids, that uh, you're going to see clear, clear fruit uh, in their independence that they're making out from underneath your roof of choices that are consistent with your love for Christ. So. And I would just say, uh, Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And that is absolutely the case for Heather and me with our kiddos. And I just, it's just, it's a different type of love I had never experienced before when we had our firstborn in terms of just that, that overflow of love toward this precious little gift. And, uh, you know, I just... Sometimes um, my kids might see me across the church courtyard, and and I, I might hear a da da, and just they charge toward me, and just you know being able to kind of lean, you know, just get down and scoop them up into my arms. It's just the incredible feeling, and truly, children are a blessing, and they're a stewardship. And I hope as the I've been so benefited just by the words of these men, and as they talk about just how they've raised their children, and. And uh, I just pray you too have been blessed and equipped. Uh, and uh, it, it is a blessing and it's a responsibility. But with the Lord's help and the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, we, we all will go through it and get through it. I'll just close this in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for this time. I just praise you for this opportunity to hear from godly men who have raised children. I'm thankful for just the opportunity to do that myself with Heather and I and all of the people in this room who are going through that. And uh, Lord, I just pray you know every challenge, you know every blessing in this room, you know every prayer request of everyone in this room, and I just pray that you would be helping and equipping that as the body of Christ, we would be able to help one another. And uh, just whatever the case may be, that we may be able to um, just encourage one another, edify one another, and just, Lord, we pray that the heartfelt prayer of every parent in here is for their children to be knowing you and loving you and walking with you. And I just pray you would work that in every child in here, whether fully grown and perhaps uh, not seeing much fruit at this moment or whether young and, and or an infant. 
Lord, I just pray for your help, your grace, your equipping, and Lord, we know that you are the one who is the author of salvation. We do pray that you would work in the hearts of all of the children of the people in this room. We're thankful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.